Hey, Eric, it's Grizzly. Hey, Matt, what's up? Uh, I'm glad I caught you because I've been trying to get in touch with you forever. Yeah, I know we've been playing phone tag. We just haven't caught each other at the right times. Well, now that I have you, I want to do your podcast. And it's a good time, too, because I know you put a lot of effort into everything, but no one wants to hear you talk about movies and video games and things like that. I see. You should talk more about wrestling. Yeah, so it seems. People want to hear you talk about wrestling. So why don't you have me on and let's just talk about wrestling. How about that? Okay, then. Let's make this quick because I hate editing and I hate spending time in front of computers. What? You hate editing? Yeah, I never wanted to be an editor. I just wanted to be a talent. But I have to do these things to get things done, to produce things. Well, how about you stop pretending to be me and put the real me on? Okay, quote-unquote, Grizzly. Well, you heard me as Grizzly Redwood. Let's get the real Grizzly Redwood on. Former Ring of Honor wrestler, top-of-the-class trophy winner, and someone who's been through a lot of obstacles in life. More than most of us, and he's overcome them. Let's make this intro short and sweet, just like Grizzly himself. So let's have a few words with my buddy, Grizzly Redwood. I just want to get out there and match my skills with the best wrestling guys they'll offer. Cool. Thank you, Eric. First of all, what should I even call you? Should I call you Grizzly? Should I call you Matt? I don't, I'm guessing you don't want me to call you Mitch. Uh, it honestly doesn't matter. <laughs> I answer to all three. Well, this is the second podcast that you've done? Yeah, I did Cabana's like five or six years ago. Was it really that long ago? It was like his 50th one or something like that. Wow. Or like something okay. around there. Well, I remember listening to that when I was waiting for the train to go into New York City, and I heard Grizzly Redwood is on The Art of Wrestling, and I was like, oh, man, I'm totally listening to this one. <laughs> so now I'm glad to sit down with you. It's been too long since I've seen you. I haven't seen you in a few years. Yeah, and it's... Something that we've been catching up on before uh, we hit the record button. Longest game of phone tag I've ever played in my life. <laughs> right. Ever. We have a lot to backtrack on. So before we even catch up to the modern day, and who knows, maybe that'll take a couple episodes. We'll see. Good. But let's go right back to the beginning. All right. Because I remember when we were starting Pro Wrestling Respect in 2010, I did personality profiles of everybody. Mm-hmm. And I did pieces to really expose maybe some more of the Ring of Honor fans, because this was kind of a sister promotion to Ring of Honor. And I wanted to get the, I guess, the students, because that's the label that we always had to deal with. I wanted to get them more well-known, because they were primarily just jobbers to the Ring of Honor audience forever. Yeah, but I was like the top jobber. Maybe. (laughs) That's what the top of the glass trophy was. Oh, you're the top jobber, I guess. But I wanted to get more depth 
into the characters. I wanted to show them more of the personalities. And with yours in particular, that was such a hit, I guess, amongst the, the audience, not the audience, the, the office, really. Yeah, and yeah, no, I was good. Yeah. And that detailed your story, which we'll get into right now. But I just bring it up because it was redone, basically, for HDNet, wasn't it? They- uh, not HDNet. It was redone for Sinclair when Sinclair started. Really? Yeah. I could have sworn uh, it was HDNet, but they no. took the basic premise of finding out about your childhood health issues, which we'll bring up now. And redid it. I guess my but, edit wasn't good enough. No, well, it was way more comfortable sitting across from you doing it than it was sitting at this looking at Jim Cornette, just like humoring me, looking to get it done as quick as possible. Oh, uh, I see. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, what those health issues are, I constantly go back to Brian Pillman because Brian Pillman's another wrestler that had these throat surgeries when he was a kid and that's where he got the raspy voice what happened when you were born you were not given a good prognosis right out of the gate no the uh, gate so to speak no (laughs) the gate (laughs) it's one word uh i was you know me and my twin sister both born three months premature Mm -hmm. weighed just under a pound with all machines attached to me and shit can i curse Sorry. Fuck yeah, you can curse. (laughs) Good. I could not curse or I could just talk normal. (laughs) No, this is all about being real and talking normal. So go Um, right ahead. So with everything attached, just under a pound, um, I've had ribs removed to for what's called a tracheoplasty and a palatoplasty. I guess added support or reconstructed my throat and the roof of my mouth. Mm -hmm. Um, Supposed to live to like the age of four-ish. Not really supposed to walk or talk. Why not? Uh, I don't remember. Well, I didn't expect you to remember. No, I just I, assumed you were given a reason. On my refrigerator is a list of every medical problem I had as a kid. We called my mom, and my wife had my mom explain everything to her. And I don't remember any of it. <laughs> Couldn't breathe on my own. You have a respirator? Uh, I think I did, yeah, yeah. I was in the hospital for first year of my life. Wow. In and out till I was like five or six. Mm-hmm. Different surgeries and stuff. Speech therapy after that. Then I was off and running. You were given this prognosis of four years, right? Well, my mom was given it. Yeah, yeah. She's like, they probably won't make it to four years. If he does, he's not going to be able to really walk or talk. Well, what happens when you get to five? <laughs> Is your Are your parents always on pins and needles wondering? I, 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 I'm sure my mom was kind of like nervous and everything. I think after like five, the doctors were like, well, fuck, we were wrong. Hmm. <laughs> oh, good for you, kid. <laughs> uh, I was born at Jefferson University or that hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, love them. Love all the doctors and nurses. My mom actually became good friends with a lot of the nurses and stuff uh, from being there constantly. Every year up until I was like, I guess, 15, we would go to, I forget, it was like an intensive care, prenatal intensive care unit, uh, Halloween parties. And we would always go back, see the nurses, see the doctors. The ones that took care of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was the first person in the prenatal ICU to grow a mustache. So that's what I was known for. And then I got embarrassed and never went back. <laughs> <laughs> were there any health issues beyond your throat? Once you got past the four-year mark? I mean, beyond everything, yeah, I had asthma for a little bit. That's it, though. Other than that, like, I was a very active kid, Mm -hmm. which I think helped a lot. I was always up moving around. Like, I didn't walk before when I should have. I didn't start crawling when I should have. I would scoot, like, on my butt like a dog cleaning Mm -hmm. his ass uh-huh. yeah no nah, nothing that was detailed in this video that i mentioned which yep. is still to be found on youtube yeah, if you want to still very good look it up with Thank a solid you. match after it <laughs> that too but we use some of the pictures 
of you growing up and we see all these tubes coming out of your throat and disgusting. Yeah. So <laughs> obviously we're all glad that you made it. Oh, thank but you. you said that you were very active. And I remember I used a picture of you uh, in a football uniform. Pads three sizes too big. Yeah. <laughs> and you wrestled in high school. Yep. I didn't start till sophomore year of high school. Uh, I played football. What about me? <laughs> what's what's your cat's name? The Violent Man Hands. Violent Man Hands. No, Violet. Oh, Violet. Violet. Oh, excuse me. Oh. <laughs> I feel like Gilda Radner on SNL. <laughs> like, violins? Never mind. <laughs> uh, sophomore year of high school, I played football freshman, sophomore, junior year. Sophomore year, we had a half day of school, but we had practice in the afternoon. So I just hung around in a little study hall area and was watching film the coaches were showing. Football game ended. Coach was sleeping, catching flies in his seat. And there was a wrestling matches from previous season on there. And one of my buddies that was also on the football team got straight German suplex on the mat. Oh, nice. Totally illegal. But it made me go, oh, shit, man, I could do that. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to be a pro wrestler. Maybe I should do this. Sophomore year, I signed up. I I went in in uh, tank top and sweatpants. I weighed in at 117, 118. The coach was like, oh, you'll wrestle 112. I was like, the hell I will. <laughs> First practice, I dropped like seven pounds. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I hear so much from the guys that I grappled with uh, once I started uh, doing mixed martial arts about how intense the wrestling is. It it is. And I knew nothing about it going in. Right. No experience, no background. I just kind of fell in love with it, though. Now, you said pro wrestling. So by this point, you're already a fan of pro wrestling. Oh, yeah. So did you expect, like, when we first started hearing about wrestling in school, like, guys are coming out in lucha masks and capes? And no, because <laughs> I've seen stuff. So I was like, oh, all right, okay. that's not, I don't want to wear spandex. No. I, I... When did the pro wrestling start, though? Um, when I was a little kid, I didn't, I didn't get introduced to it through, like, TV or anything. Uh, we lived a few blocks away from my grandparents and all of my all my friends lived on that block. So we were going to my grandparents and I walk out and they're on little front stoop area. And I'm like, Oh, what are you guys doing? I I don't know. I was like seven or eight Mm -hmm. and they had wrestling action figures and they were the coolest thing I've ever seen. Even more than Voltron and Ninja Turtles. (laughs) Well, maybe not Ninja Turtles. I was never huge into Voltron. (laughs) Saw the toys and I was like, Oh, what is this? And they're telling me, I was like, Oh, it's awesome. And started watching it and fell in love with, Hulk Hogan, like everybody else. Of course. (laughs) That's the way I always say it. Of course. Yeah. And like, you know, I watched it till probably like fifth or sixth grade and then fell out of it and then got back into it when the Attitude Era was just starting and other people were like, hey, man, you got you got to check this out. Look at this magazine. This picture of Mick Foley after the Hell in a Cell. And I was like, holy shit. So how did it all connect together where you were wrestling in high school, I assume around this time, mm-hmm. and you said, I want to be a pro wrestler. So where did that get in your head? I knew before I started wrestling, my freshman year of high school, uh, I started watching ECW at the tail end of it, started really getting into the, watching every Monday and Thursday for everything. And I, I watched McFoley and Benoit and all these guys, and I'm like, man, I could do this. I, I could definitely do this. Freshman year of high school, my little portfolio, the guidance counselor, like, well, what do you want to do with your life? I'll be a pro wrestler. No, that's not going to happen. I was like, well, you better write it down because that's what I want to do. Now, you've already been told that you're not even going to live to a certain age, let alone being told that you can't do a certain thing. Yep. And how tall are you? 5'4". 
So back then you were even shorter. Five four. <laughs> I've been this height since like seventh grade. Oh, okay. It's tall for a minute. So did that didn't deter you at all? You no, already I, had no, it in no, your mind. Not at all. Spike Dudley, Crash Holly, Rey Mysterio. I was like, all right. Mikey Whipwreck. Yeah, yeah. Who I think's considerably taller than I am. <laughs> <laughs> but did you see yourself in that sort of role, like the underdog, undersized sort of guy? No, I wanted to be Crispin Wall and Kurt Angle, man. Just like a serious ass kicker. Yeah, yeah. So how did it end up that you went to the Ring of Honor Wrestling Academy? Because you grew up in Maryland? Oh, I'm from Philly. I uh, moved to Maryland when I was like 13, 14, was down there for 10 years. So my formidable years were down in Maryland. When I was down there, I was working at an Applebee's shortly after high school ended. You know who used to work at an Applebee's that ended up in Ring of Honor? So I remember who's hearing. That? Alexis Lurie. Really? Who's Mickey James now oh, to everybody. Nice. I could have sworn when she was first starting, I heard she was a waitress at Applebee's. It's possible. <laughs> not the Applebee's I worked at. Uh, not that one. So I was down there and there was a um, retired military guy. Not retired. Like he, he did like 48 years, 48 years left. His wife was a contractor in the military. It was a big military town I lived in. Huge Navy base down there. Mm -hmm. He started working at Applebee's part-time. Turns out he was a wrestling fan. So I'm talking to him about it. I was like, yeah, I want to be a pro wrestler. I'm like four years out of high school. Just got my driver's license because I walked everywhere. I was not in a rush to drive. And he's like, oh, you know, I actually trained and tried that. Uh, he went to Jimmy Valiant's school. And he gave me all this. He gave me a bunch of magazines. He gave me, I don't know if you saw when you used the restroom. In the restroom, the reading material is hitting the mat. Yes, I saw. With uh, <laughs> King Kong Bundy and Pretty Boy Larry Sharp. It's right. like a Monster Factory mm -hmm. pamphlet about going to their school. There was a PWI in there with uh, uh, just a bunch of wrestling schools. And I'm looking through it and I'm looking through it. And I saw Ring of Honor at a school. And I only knew ROH through Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Because mm. I'm not an internet person. I'm not tech savvy. I don't. I wasn't a tape trader. I wasn't big online or anything. Still aren't. That's why you don't listen to much of my podcast. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> hey, man, I've got a droid. It makes things difficult. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because that reminds me of when I was first starting to hear about ECW yeah. for a few years. Like Sabu was getting a big name on the indies then, especially up in the Northeast area. Yeah. And I didn't see him for a few years, up until like maybe 97 or so. So he'd already been tearing it up for a, yeah. a while. And I only saw those pictures and knew the names from Pro Wrestling yeah, Illustrated. it had a lot of impact on a lot of people. And I knew it because reading, it was Doran Joe's big uh, title streak. Mm -hmm. And that's how I picked up on it. And I saw they had a school and I'm like, oh man, it's in Bristol. Like, that's... 20 minutes north of where I used to live. Like, that's awesome. How far was it from you then, though, in Maryland? Four and a half hour drive. Wow. I had just got my license, and I saw, uh, I think I contacted, I probably talked to you or Hagedorn <laughs> on the phone. <laughs> One of us. Uh, about the tryout. And I was like, all right, well, CM Punk was the trainer at the time. Yeah. Right when I called about the tryout, Austin Aries was taking over. Mm -hmm. like, all right, man, I got to do this. Like, it's now or never. So I drove up to the tryout. I was like, screw it. I'm doing it. Listen to the Rocky soundtrack the whole way there. Oh, my God. I had a tryout September 12th of 2004. It was me, the Dempseys, and, well, actually, Seth Rollins was there. Tyler I Black, heard eventually. Of that story. Yeah, and we were doing, uh, like, I think we did a 1,000 Hindu squats in the parking lot, the sprints, crunches all those sort of things well the last part of the exercise anyway was we were running around that lake out back yeah the pond or, the pond excuse me love that thing 
And I had what I called a rocky moment because I remember we're running and I, we're all just destroyed at this point. I mean, I didn't expect, I had bulked up over that yeah. summer. I put on like 20 pounds of muscle if I, or t- something like that. But I didn't expect to be doing a thousand Hindu squats in a row. So we're wrecked and punk starts jogging up to each one of us, I guess, maybe the ones he had his eye on and he comes up next to me and I forget the exact conversation, but he said uh, something like, how, how are you doing? And I said, I'm having my Rocky moment because <laughs> I'm thinking it's now or never that gonna fly now themes blasting through our mind. And I'm actually looking at the Rocky poster you have on your yeah. wall right now. So that's a movie we've talked about on the podcast too, that you don't listen to but bury me for this but i'll listen to this one well i (laughs) hope so but i had the same sort of thing so it's so funny how the pro wrestling illustrated the rocky movies how there's so many parallels that a lot of us have yep i was geared up for a tryout like that just from things i've heard i wasn't probably prepared for it but i was mentally i was like this is what's gonna happen right and i pull up and i think i saw like pelly and smash bradley walking up to the door just giving me a shitty look because probably gives everybody shitty looks right all right let's do it let's do it let's do it went up there and like it was not as tough as i thought it was gonna (laughs) be probably thought you were coming to take his spot yeah (laughs) Uh, and i did (laughs) it wasn't a bunch of hindu squats you know we definitely did a lot of sprints uh i remember one thing we had to bench press our own weight 10 times uh, and they didn't want to figure out how to put like 220, 120 on the bar. So I was like, I oh, just put 135 on it. I'm just, everybody's just saying something to everybody. And I'm like, is this 10 yet? I lost count and I'm just going. <laughs> He's like, 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 it kind of impressed him. He's like, all right, well, you're in shape. Well, let me ask you there because were you into bodybuilding at this point? Yeah. Okay. When did you start that? I High started school? lifting freshman year of high school when I was 15. Me and a, a buddy who introduced me to the gym. We worked one day a week cleaning at a church his mom worked at, which was just enough to fund our gym membership uh, about a mile and a half away from school. And we just walk every school every day, mm-hmm. five days a week. So this is something that you've always been doing because you're still doing that. Yeah, you're no, in the I, gym all the time. I love it. Big always fan. keeping yourself yep. in shape. So, you, so all right, you're ahead of the game at this point. I went point. in in shape for being 120 pounds and skinny. Right. You know, I didn't look great, but I was in some kind of shape. Sure. Um. I remember another part we had to do uh, leg raises, hold your leg above the ground. TJ Cannon was in the tryout. Him and some guys would just randomly go to tryouts, they were saying. Like, they didn't really intend on going to the school, but they just went to different tryouts. They were already kind of trained at the time. It's an interesting hobby. Yeah. <laughs> so it got down to me and him, and I guess Aries got tired of waiting for one of us to go down because neither of us were about to let up. He's like, all right, put your feet down. We're moving on. Yeah, no, it was fun. It was a cool experience. I was like, all right, like, he met with everybody after the trial. I was like, look, he met with us one by one. And Carrie Silken was in the back office. Harris was in the back office. He's like, look, you did good. If you want in, you're in. I was like, I want in. Let's do it. I think I uh, started training a month later. Now, you had said to me in a text that you had a very different take than the one that Alex Payne had when he came on this show and talked about training with Austin Aries. And you said you wanted to give your side of the story. So let's hear it. What was it like training with the current semi commentator for WWE slash NXT? Excellent commentator, possibly the greatest commentator that ever lived. (laughs) Well, he's the greatest everything that ever lived. Well, Hey man, it's just a fact. You can't help it. He was born that way. Um, I thought it was great, man. It was just me and Rhett in our class. So right away he was like, look, it's, we're not going to be able to do a lot of drills. It's not going to have the pace he wanted the class to have because there's two of us. There was another guy 
who moved away after the first class from Ohio. Apparently, Eric Viking signed up and moved back to Washington. I remember two people moving away. One guy was there for the first class, and one guy didn't show up. So that was kind of crazy. Uh, I thought it was great, though. Like, he he took a lot of time with both of us. We didn't get in the ring for a month. Right. So every day we went in, he'd ask us what we wanted to work on. I'd be like, let's get in the ring. Nope. Let's get in the ring. Nope. Damn it, I just want to get in the ring. So what did you do before you got it in the It was ring? a lot of ground-based stuff, um, rolls, a lot of uh, holds, lock-ups. Chain I, wrestling. Chain wrestling. I remember practicing lock-ups, and he would lock up with us. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't get used to the hand placement. You mean I was the left used... hand forward yeah, yeah. on the collar? See, that's why it's called collar yeah. and elbow tie-up. Because <laughs> I'm right-handed. So, right. I, man, I must hit Aries in the face like 10 times in a row. And he's like, it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. He took a lot of time with us, and he put a lot of effort into training us. That's the difference. He liked you. <laughs> they, well, yeah. Well, he liked me. Um, yeah, I don't know what was up with those two. That's on them. I, well, I thought he did very well. I, I don't think he discouraged us from learning or trying anything. For instance, uh, I forget what Justin said he was working on areas, but nope, can't do drop it. Drop kick. Yeah, can't yeah. do it. Never be able to do it. I couldn't do a flip bump mm-hmm. to save my life. And he had me working on it constantly. He didn't give up on it till I got it. How I won him over, I guess. We would do occasionally. The first day we got in the ring, he was like, all right, we're getting in the ring today. No, we're not learning how to fucking bump. No, we're not learning how to do clotheslines or moonsaults. We were kickboxing Aries. Really? Put on pads, put on the face guard, and he just, I'm a very small guy. Right. <laughs> he just kept knocking me down, but I just kept getting back up. I'm like, all right, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. In my head, I'm just like, all right, Rocky, Joe Frazier, Rocky, Joe Frazier. I got to get right. in. I got to get in. But I have no idea what I'm doing. Right. So he just kept clobbering me and knocking <laughs> me down. Kept getting back up. Says kind of want him over he's like all right this guy's gonna stick it out i didn't train with aries but from what i remember it was i'm not going to babysit you i'm not going to tell you to do this exercise and do this running and squats no, and all these other like, things i'm not your personal trainer right he was all about the wrestling yep in the ring yeah our class ran about six months uh, i spilled over a little bit into the second class but i lost my job at applebee's <laughs> okay so i had no job for a while so doing the four and a half hour drive was pretty tough to get through because the only job i had was ring crew which paid about 25 dollars a weekend it's better than yeah. zero that we were yeah getting. yeah but so let's wait let's get this straight you were doing this four and a half hour drive yes how many times a week <laughs> so on our first day of training he asked if we want to do monday tuesday wednesday or monday tuesday thursday and I didn't want to, and Rep's like, well, I'm fine with Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. And Aries was like, yeah, I'd like to have that day off for you guys to like kind of rest up. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. In my head, I'm like, man, if we just do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I can get a part-time job up here and I won't be losing so much money. Right. But I wasn't going to be like, well, actually, this will work better for me. So it was twice a week to co-train. And then when we started doing shows, it was three times a week. Quite a few speeding tickets. <laughs> and my license suspended a couple of times. Well, that's a lot of miles, man. Every oh, yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you remember my old '88 Bronco, but that thing was a beauty. Yeah, it and probably shouldn't have. It made it the four years 
it made doing those trips, but it did it. See, this is why I tell everybody I'm used to long drives now. Yeah. Like when I drove out to Chicago last year, drove out to Toronto before, mm. blah, blah, blah. I don't want to say it's nothing, but it's practically nothing to us because yeah. we're so conditioned to oh, it. It's not bad. And you know what? That was even before smartphones. So we didn't even have tons of podcasts and thousands is, of songs to choose from. This is and- where we became good friends with Ernie Osiris when he started in area second class with uh, Justin. Ernie comes from the Hamptons. Mm-hmm. Ernie had a GPS and XM satellite radio. Yo, there you go. In 2005, he was the richest person I knew. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you start actually wrestling? All right. So I started before I was done training. Uh, Ricky Reyes was going through his thing with uh, the first big student from the school, Davey Andrews. Oh, right, right. They were having Ricky Reyes tear through students. Well, they needed a student for him. So it was just like, hey, take good bumps. I think this is something you could just do. This was Basketball City, wasn't it? No, this no? was in Connecticut. Connecticut, okay. You just got to go in there and take some bumps. We're going to have you do it in a couple weeks. I was like, what? All right. Because Ricky would come and train with us too. Mm-hmm. And it was great. Love Ricky. Uh, one time we were learning. Uh, I think he owes me $40 still. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, tell me about D'Lo Brown owes me like nine bucks (laughs) he would come up and work with us and we were doing something in the ring me and Rhett just it wasn't clicking for us and Arias is like hey man like these guys only been in the ring for about a week and Reyes goes yeah but still and me and Rhett both left that day thinking like I don't know if we're cut out for this but that's what we needed because it was like a little opposite of how Aries was looking at it so Ricky helped us out a lot too well what did Ricky mean but still what were you missing like, we just should have been able to do this correctly. <laughs> what? Take some bumps just, and yeah, tap just, out? <laughs> just, bumping, just bumping and feeding. Right. I just, we just should have been able to do it. It was like we were like a day into bumping. But they were like, you just, just got to go out there and bump for Ricky. It'll be like 30 seconds tops. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, he was familiar with me a little bit. and Tops is generous. Isn't yeah. Well, it was 28 <laughs> seconds. Oh, 28 okay. seconds. I got it down. It's a lot longer than I thought it but was. But like, it was exciting, man. I was pumped. I was maybe like three, four months into training at the time. Mm-hmm. I didn't wrestle again for a little bit after that till we were like finished our initial training. You became part of the long line of, I guess I said jobbers before, but that's yeah. what a lot of the students were to start. Well, look, man, like being out of it for a little bit's given me a lot of like different perspective. Which is? I remember, all right, for one instance, me, Ernie, and Bobby Dempsey got set out, sent out one day for a dark match, pre-show match. Mm-hmm. And this is before people would come and watch the pre-show matches. You know, people were barely filing in at the time. Right. Where was this? Uh, this was in Cleveland for a three-minute match. Was this the, the it, Gray's Armory? Yes. Whoa. We had, a, we had a three-way, and Gabe gave us three minutes. Look, man, you really can't do much with that, but it's a hell of a learning experience. And you got to think about it as far as, I, I don't know, for quite a few years, I was pretty fucking terrible. But had the learning experiences of five to three two-minute dark matches in Ring of Honor, where I can go ask Samoa Joe what he thought. I can go ask AJ Styles what he thought. I remember one time AJ yelled at me after a match. What did he say? Bobby Dempsey, it was Brett Titus' second match ever. And we were in a tag match, and Bobby would do a DVD where he literally would just try and break your neck. Yes, I remember. It was a very stupid bump. He hit you with one in Edison that I used on the highlights yeah, a yeah. lot because it looked really vicious. Yeah, well, because it was. And uh-huh. if I kept taking them, I'd probably be dead. I took it. One, two, three. Rhett's just so happy. Me and Rhett were talking about this the other day because he, he was celebrating his anniversary of his first and second match. Mm. And I'm like, dude, you left me in the ring after this match. He goes, I was just really happy about that hot tag. <laughs> and I go in the back and AJ's like, why did you get up and walk out? You should have let someone help you. I was like, what? 
was like, I didn't know how vicious that looked. Mm-hmm. But like, you got to go and you had guys like that talk to you. I was able to go to the Briscoes and Necro and Aries and Brian. Yeah. Like, man, that's a hell of a learning experience. That's some people to learn from, dude. Right. That's not doing a three-minute match in some farmer's market somewhere no. with some guy in parachute pants giving you no. feedback. And like, that's it, Brian Danielson. It led to other opportunities. Like, years of dark matches, what was it, 2007, 2008, mm-hmm. would lead to squash matches. on the. I'd get squash matches here and there on the main show. I got to wrestle Homicide at the first Supercard of Honor in front of a huge crowd in Chicago where he let me do more than I probably should have been allowed to do but like experiences like that man you can't trade that learning experience or education for anything in the world so that's how you look at it now yeah like even then it was like yeah oh man i want you always want more you right. want more opportunity you want a bigger spot but like looking back man like for a lot of that stuff i probably wasn't ready for but like just being able to do it helped a ton how did we go from let me get the name what was the origin of this name because i always hated it <laughs> ah shit the first weekend Ring crew. We drove up the Buffalo. It was just me and Rhett in my car. The Dempsey's smash. Maybe you two in their car. Pelly. I, I don't know. And we're all doing ring crew. End of the night, Derek's like, you know what your name should be? Should be Mitch Franklin. Mm-hmm. Like, what? Apparently during the whole ride up, they're like, Bobby Dempsey wanna suck wants to suck Mitch Franklin's cack. Okay. And it was just some running gag they had in their car. And I kind of remember yeah, that. And they decided yeah. on Mitch Franklin. It just stuck. Well, you know and, why I hate it. Yeah. Well, because it's like Rich Franklin. Right, right, right. <laughs> and I'm like, when's he going to team with Ben Shamrock? <laughs> I had no choice, but coming up to my first match, I was like, well, you know, I would say it in an announcer's voice, like, Rich Franklin. <laughs> like my best Bobby Cruz impression at the time. <laughs> That's kind of got a ring to it. And before I wrestled Ricky for my first match, Gabe was like, ah, what do you, what's your wrestling name? I was like, well, I guess I'm going with Mitch Franklin. No choice, just stuck. So you didn't have any real emotional attachment to it. No, but like you know, I didn't really hate it. Hate it. Mm. Could have been worse. But Mitch Franklin eventually became the top of the class trophy holder. I did, which was surprising. So tell me about how you ascended to the top of the class trophy. I don't know. I was texting. Uh, Pelly was texting me that we were wrestling for the trophy. At a show in Connecticut. And the trophy was introduced so the students on the pre-match or the dark matches will have something to fight over. Right. To give us a little something to build towards and work towards. And usually the top of the class trophy holder got, a, you know, if there was an opening on the main show for whatever, the t- t- trophy holder would get that spot. Spot to fill. While Pelly had the spot, we would get tag matches. And it's like, all right, well, Mitch, you're getting beat up. Pelly's going to do some moves. Then you're going to get pinned. Essentially how that worked, mm-hmm. which, you know, whatever, it's fine. Cool. Put me on the main show. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Texting with Pelly. He was like, oh, we're in Connecticut. And he said something about like me winning. And I was like, what? <laughs> Am I winning? Probably not a good match, but I won. Why, why do you say that? Oh, well, I wasn't very good at the time. And it was. Yeah, but tell me, because this is something that I'm always fascinated about, and it really brings to mind how wrestling is an art, because I know for myself, as an artist, whether I'm editing this show, whether I'm drawing a picture, whether I'm making a documentary, or whatever it is, any sort of artist, it seems like we're so critical about each other. In fact, I remember the first time I met Nigel McGuinness, Mm -hmm. which was in 2004, at the Rexplex, and he had an opening match 
it was a really good technical match. It was enjoyable. And I remember he came up to the balcony afterwards and I said, Hey, that was pretty good. And, or I really liked the match. And he said, eh, it wasn't good. This, that was... He's very critical. Himself. Right. But I, I met maybe an extreme example, but I'm just trying to make an analogy here that I hear that so much from yeah. wrestlers. Like, Oh, it could have been better. You have to be critical of yourself. Right. It's the only way you're going to get better. Mm-hmm. And at that point, things were slowly starting to click in my head for me. But not completely. But I mean, years later, this is what, 10 years later, almost 10 years later, you're still like, eh, it wasn't very good. Why are you saying that? What was something that maybe stood out there that didn't flow or I could have done that better? Uh, my pacing, how I moved around, my timing, my execution of things, very sloppy, it was mm-hmm. sloppy. After I got the trophy, it kind of it was a little bit of a wake up call. I was like, all right, well, I got to cut my hair and get real gear now. So it helped me change my look. Shortly after that, I moved back up to Philly so I could train like full time and really go at it. Mm -hmm. I was moving anyway, but it did still motivate me a little bit more because, all right, I got the trophy. All right, well, now you you and Sugar Furland tag against uh, Chase and Rance and Kenny King. All right, well, now you're getting beat up and I get to do something. Mm -hmm. It gave a lot more opportunity, I think. We did the thing with Chase and Kenny, which I was a big fan of because I got to take a crazy bump for them because that's when it was starting to click me I was like all right well if i make these guys look really good then i'll find a job somehow of just making other people look good so i got my little tag in took a silly bump off the top rope and brian comes up to me he's like you landed on your on your knees right i was like i honestly don't remember how i landed he's like all right good job claudio came up to me you okay yeah good job so I was like, what did I do? It was just, it clicked that night. It was like, all right, I got the sweet trophy. So it's giving me more opportunity to get on the main show. All I have to do is make other people look good and I can find a job. Well, you were just getting compliments from, well, he's now Cesaro in WWE yeah. and Daniel Bryan later on. Like these guys are really top of the line yeah. wrestlers well, for that level. I mean, they're world, world-class wrestlers. Yeah. So if they're saying that you did something right. Yeah, all I did was take a bump. Right. <laughs> Why or how did we go from this? Because you'd had the trophy. Right. I lost you, it. You lost it. I don't remember how long I lost, how long I had it. It was a god-awful match me and Ernie Osiris had in Philly. That was 2008. Yeah. Yeah, like hopefully Masawa wasn't watching that match because he was on that show. <laughs> we had no business being on that show. It was a terrible match, mm. but we tried. You know, we gave a best effort. We didn't, We uh, yeah, yeah. That show had Masawa, Marifuji, Kenta on it. Mm-hmm. I, I believe Nigel was there. Brian was there. Uh, I remember going back after the match and Roddy was there. I was like, oh, what'd you think? He goes, uh, not very good. Mm-hmm. I know it didn't feel very good. But how did it feel to be part of, I guess, part of that locker room where you were a contemporary to these sort of guys? Like you said, it's... it's. I mean, it was great to have these guys to go back and talk to after your match. The only downfall was for years, it felt like years anyway, you didn't really get to sit in the locker room because we were always doing security or spotlight or something like that. Right. I was going to say, didn't you feel like a little somewhat disconnected being part of that yeah. grind? Yeah. I could only I could only learn so much... You only learn so much running the spotlight. Right. I got to soak in a lot at the timekeeper's table, doing ringside security. Right. Um, I lost the trophy shortly after, I think, I started the Grizzly Rabbit thing, and new classes started rolling into the school, so we got to be in the locker room more. Mm-hmm. So I got to sit at the monitor and pick people's brain a little bit. So other people were doing the yeah. lighting yeah. and things like that, I see. So where did the Grizzly Redwood gimmick 
form? How did that come about? Because to Rhett me, it seemed Titus out of nowhere. came up with it. Rhett Titus. Retsky came up with it. You should wrestle as the littlest lumberjack. And you chop people in the legs and say you're chopping competition down to size. I was like, I don't want to do that. He'd tell Hunter. Hunter loved it. He'd tell Aries. Aries loved it. He'd tell every, he was telling everybody in the locker room. I was like, I don't want to do it. I'm Rich Franklin. I'm starting to really click with things. I'm getting good. How did you come around to it? Well, we had a show in Chicago. Uh, I think I actually wrestled Sugarfoot and me and Sugarfoot mid-match got beat up by Necro, who had become a very good friend of mine. Before Aries left that night, he's like, look, we don't have a show for another month. Grow your beard out. Try the lumberjack thing. Are you over as Mitch Franklin? I was like, no. Well, what's the worst that could happen? Nothing happens, and you go back to being Mitch Franklin and see what else works. All right. So I had that month. I was at the school three days a week trying stuff out, working on it. So it wasn't real. I was like, look, if I do this once, I'm still going to do it good. Well, I'm I'm surprised he didn't say do it on like a Chikara or some other show first. Oh, no, see. no. I, couldn't no. Rest. I didn't rest. I wasn't on Chikara shows. Uh, <laughs> were you doing other indies at this point? Yeah. I was following Rhett everywhere he'd go. Sometimes i get booked. Sometimes I wouldn't. Every Saturday afternoon, we would do the Monster Fest factory where i learned a shit ton it was separate locker rooms called everything on the fly oh wow! so i learned a lot there that's why i worked a lot on uh selling and stuff because it was small crowds little kids so it was a lot of fun but i learned a lot there and i'd piggyback wherever went went nwa shows here and there like randall like pro east and stuff like that so why didn't you try it on one of those shows where maybe if it doesn't work less people will know about it as opposed to the quote semi big stage i guess of ring of honor i didn't think about that yeah <laughs> i was just like well these other places are booking me as mitch franklin i'll go as mitch franklin so i worked on it for a month the weekend before or the week before that ring of honor show in boston i had nwa shows in maine i had three shows i had a buddy up there so i went and hung out my buddy bull james was a fellow i wrestled quite a bit in nwa pro east uh, he was going to be my last match as Mitch Franklin before I debuted Grizzly Redwood. And yeah. how did you make the turnaround? How did you come around to, uh, maybe I'll try it? Well, I didn't have a choice. Aries said, do it. <laughs> I'm not going to tell the guy no. I trust him. I do the shows in Maine. The night of the last show in Maine, the show got canceled five minutes after Bell because they didn't sell any tickets. Wow. They didn't promote it. So I just drove right to Boston, met everybody at the hotel, all the ring crew guys. I was like, oh, well, this is my beard. It's pretty big. And Ernie was like, this is nothing. I was like, well, it's big for me. It's about how long it is now, which isn't very long. Right. And the next day I'm thinking like, oh, I'll, be, I'll do this on a on a dark match and we'll see how it goes. Ended up being on the video wire that we posted on the internet. Well, it was the, it was the opener of the show. Uh -huh. Didn't know I was going to do it. I think just Aries, Hunter, and all the ring crew guys knew. And Gabe was like, oh, you're wrestling Chase and Rance in the opener tonight. I go to Aries like, hey, I'm on the main show tonight. Can I do this like tomorrow at like on the dark match or something? He goes, nah, screw it. Try it. What's the worst that happen? God damn it. <laughs> so uh, Gabe didn't know about it at all? No. Wow. So so I went and told, I, I had to go explain to Chase and everything. He was super cool with it because again, it goes back to the bump I took for him and Kenny. Mm -hmm. He's very appreciative of that. He's like, all right, we'll do something here. We'll make you look good. Awesome. We call the match. I get geared up in my flannel and my suspenders. Gabe looks at me and he's just sitting on the steps that were in the locker room. What's this? Uh, so I'm going to, Aries wanted me to do it. The littlest lumberjack. Oh, you're going to have to do a promo explaining it. What? <laughs> all right. I think I've done like one promo before. Ever? In the, in, in the ring other than like at training or at home. I was like, oh no. Big crowds, mm -hmm. super loud, super vocal. Some of the best crowds, Boston, Chicago, Philly, New York, 
Charlotte are the best crowds I've ever been in front of. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh no, a promo. Oh God, I had a backstory in my head. Whatever, if I want to do a character, I might just call, come up with a story for this character. And what do I do? I need a promo. Who do I talk to? Larry Sweeney. Ah. So I go up to Sweeney and he's like, all right, give me the gist. And he was brilliant, man. And I love this dude. And he helped me out. He pretty much... He worked with me and told me word for word pretty much what to say. Walked through the promo like two or three times. He's like, you'll be all right. Went up to Pierce Aries and I believe Brent Albright. And they're like, well, what's your name? I was like, I was going to go with Matty Redwood. So people start calling me Matt. Nah, it's fucking stupid. I think Pierce or Brent was like, you'll be Grizzly Redwood. And Pierce was definitely like, from the Yukon Territory. Of course. Via the Kodiak Pass. Okay, whatever, yeah. man. Let's why, do it. Why not? If, let's hit every cliche. And, yeah. Claudio <laughs> comes out. He's like, what, what the music are you using? I do a terrible Claudio impression. I was like, I'm doing the Lumberjack song by this band Jackal. He knew it. He's like, well, when they rev the chainsaw up before it starts, you go out to the ring, you have a, or you go out to the ramp, you have a log, do the chainsaw rip for the song. <laughs> I had so much help all crammed into right before this match. Where do I get a log? <laughs> yeah. Well, I had it already. I oh, got it from my buddy's house, Maine. <laughs> I still have it. I think it's at my grandma's house right now. Um, so all this, like a half an hour before the match, just crammed in all this help. And you all those names, man. It's a lot of smart people, mm -hmm. a lot of valuable talent right there. Another plus mm -hmm. to have gone through that school and dealing with all the stuff we had to deal with as far as short, dark matches, getting jobbed out, ring crew for no pay, driving everywhere. It's all kind of made it worth it, you know, mm -hmm. went out. Nailed the promo. No, haven't nailed one since. <laughs> uh, Chase was extremely giving in the match. And for some reason, the crowd just dug it. And it was off to the races from there. So success. Yeah. yeah. So when it, when you came to the back, how was the reaction? Aries didn't see it. I feel like a lot of people didn't see it at first, actually. But the, the feedback I did get was positive. They're like, well, shit, man, you were over. You've never been over before. I was like, nope. Like, I remember being in a rest hole. And I was like, oh, my God, they're chant chop them down i've never had anybody chant for me before in my entire career for a ring of honor was there any sort of thought that because ring of honor's reputation is we have the five-star classics and the serious wrestling and the handshakes and all that stuff and this is a very cartoony gimmick was there any reservation about that because there really weren't a lot of those characters at least then running around i don't remember there being i just remember Aries saying do it so i was like i'm gonna do it the best i can and then the reaction i got the first match i was like all right, I'm sticking with it. Mm -hmm. See where it goes. My honestly, this is dumb. I was like, well, Mitch Franklin's never going to get into the WWE. Grizzly Redwood might though, because <laughs> at the time WWE, you know, they were very different. They were very cartoony, very PG. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, ooh, this, this is when they had Hornswoggle. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I was like, this might have some legs, mm -hmm. but there was never a thought where I was like, oh, this isn't right for Ring of Honor. I was like, well, if I can get this over here, I can get this over anywhere. Pretty much. And another thing that helped was. Man, it might have been the following after that we had a double shot in like a Dayton in Chicago. So before that, Rhett me at Rhett, God, one of my best friends still. Mm -hmm. Love this dude. Uh came up with the idea. It got over through my own work, not Rhett's work. Yeah, you know, the <laughs> idea was his, the work was mine. Right. But he's like, look, we'll come film a video of you being like a really shitty lumberjack. I was like, all right, let's do it. And we get to the locker room at Dayton. They're in the, like, you know, Brent and Brian are in the locker room watching the video on a computer. And they're like, that's good stuff. Aries like, ah, oh, it's great. Brent was like, you did a video and you think you're over now? I was like, yeah. 
like it got a lot of good feedback and it got more people to help me and give me advice. After that, Brian started shooting little, I can't find them anywhere, but he started shooting little videos with me here and right, there. I remember teaching me how to split wood, this and that. So like he got behind it mm-hmm. and I was like, man, like, all right. I, one of them, I definitely remember the, the split and wood one. Cause he told me the night it was after he watched the, uh, video I was just telling you about. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, well, we should do this. I was like, oh, yeah, it'd be great. Not thinking he was serious at all. The next day in Chicago, he's, did you get axe and wood? I said, no. He's like, well, we have to do this. Go buy an axe and some wood. <laughs> Where, where's the closest Home Depot? I got to get this. How many runs we had to make before shows for whatever random yeah, things? It was, yeah. like Whether it was an axe, but a dude, tripod, if, whatever. If, if Brian Danielson said, hey, I want to do something with you, you're like, oh, you got to jump at that chance, of course. man. And I was beside myself that he wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. And it was great. And there were, a, there were at least two or three we did. There's one we wanted, we were going to do. That would have been real funny for Valentine's Day that we ended up never doing mm. for whatever reason. But like, I got a lot, I got a lot of extra help from him too. Like I said, like, man, shit was invaluable. <laughs> well, with these videos, when it would come to these sort of characters, like Delirious, Grizzly Redwood, things like that, mm-hmm. a lot of that I would edit too. Addicted to Love Rat Titus. That's right. And when we had some sort of, let's say, gimmicky characters or things like that, that really opened up a lot of doors creatively to do different things, go down different avenues. And another way to get eyes out there, because I'm not going to go out there and have this phenomenal, everybody loves it, 15, 20 minute classic match. Mm -hmm. But we can get people behind me while I'm getting my ass kicked. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That I can do. And the videos helped a lot with that. Mm -hmm. All of them. There were ones with pancakes. Yeah. uh, uh, Tagging with Bushwhacker Luke a couple of times. Right. My Hall of Fame tag team partner. Right. Like videos with that where I'm eating pancakes and, oh God, there's a sardine, brother Luke. Like stuff like that. I, I think it went a long way. I really do. I remember... The head of our security at the time, Zach Yeager. Another was, dear friend. Yes, I love him. He was so into these at the oh, time. He loved it. Well, him and Jimmy at the office, the, they they loved seeing the these. The one where I was eating the sardines, Zach filmed with me. Yeah. And he just kept going, nah, do it again. Nah, do it again. Because he liked seeing me eat these disgusting <laughs> ass sardines. We bought like three cans and went through them all. I'm like, dude, you're an asshole. They helped me a lot with developing like the character overall they helped me a lot with mannerisms personality everything entrance to exit mm-hmm. the videos helped with mm-hmm. and it, creatively it got me going it got me exposure because pierce would let us pretty much do whatever we wanted with our, these videos mm-hmm. and you help and edit it and put them together like we had pretty much is car blanche the word yeah car blanche yeah. would be definitely appropriate because i remember when i would do a lot of these uh, delirious training videos yeah, yeah like that was like our own those little helped angle. me too because i was in them as well yes you like, were <laughs> like i said i got help from everybody it was phenomenal I don't like, even know. Like, but like you said about like Pierce knowing about it or not, because Pierce had taken over from uh, Gabe at this point yeah. as the booker. I don't remember if I don't think we ever got approval for any of them. We just put he, them together. He never said stop. Mm-hmm. Right. He never said, hey, stop putting these up. Uh, not that I was ever nope. told. No, nope. I never heard a bad word about him from mm-hmm. him. Well, I could tell you just as a discerning viewer, because I was a Ring of Honor fan, I guess, let's say I went to shows before I worked right. there. And then obviously I'm getting an up close and personal look. I'm not just shooting the matches, editing all of them, too, pretty yeah. much. I'm well, not all of them, but eventually I took See, over another the- plus of the school. You ended up in the office doing editing. Right. I ended up becoming friends with you. Yeah. <laughs> 
and we did the videos to get over. <laughs> right. But I would, I took over the DVDs in 2009, mm-hmm. but I would frame by frame see a lot of these things. Oh, I know. And when, <laughs> you probably heard a lot from me like, hey, look at this. Why'd well, you do that? Or whatever. When I ended up on unemployment. I was hanging out at the office a lot. Right. <laughs> I'm just saying this as someone who was probably more in the line of, I wasn't like, the, the, the message board dwellers where I'd right, post about right. how many stars every match was or something like that. But at the same time, I did take it very seriously. Mm-hmm. And that sort of gimmick, that's why I asked you about it, isn't exactly in the wheelhouse of what I no. think Ring of Honor would be. What really won me over was not just that you didn't, because I hate breaking the fourth wall. I hate breaking kayfabe. I hate that sort of shit. But you didn't come out and try to pretend to be a hundred percent complete different person than Mitch Franklin. I know you wanted to emphasize that this was a new persona, but you didn't pretend that it was a completely different person from scratch. And I appreciate that. And and the lead promo too was again, this was Larry Sweeney. Like, God, I miss him. So I told him, I was like, Oh, you know, I went to a lumber. I was looking for a bunch of jobs to find out where I fit in the world. I went to a lumber camp and blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. He goes, let's be honest. Like have things been going well for Mitch Franklin? Not really. We'll say that. Right. And then you went to these lumberjacks and you learned a lot for them. And now you want to be known as this. See, even though it is completely ignoring everything else, the little bit you've done before. Right. So even though it is a very goofy, cartoony sort of story or gimmick in the pretend wrestling world, that still at least makes sense. That's still at least realistic. It's not wrestling a blow up doll to me or an invisible grenade. Like that's that crosses the line to me. So that was still within the realm of possibility. Right, right, right. What also won me over is that when you said something clicked before, I, I guess this started you on the path, but what really won the gimmick over for me is that you really could work. It, like, dude, that took a long time. That mm. gimmick started in the fall of 2008, right before my beloved Philadelphia Phillies won the World Series. When I had moved back up to, like, it was starting to click a good bit, a little bit here and there, here and there. But then when I moved back up to Philly and started Delirious and Daisy Hayes, was training with them three times a week, traveling with Rhett every weekend, things started just kind of snowballing. And I was like, okay, yeah, 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 get it, get it, get it, get it. And then once I switched into Grizzly Redwood and people started like getting behind me, it started clicking more and more and more. I just say it to preface this because you mentioned Rey Mysterio before, Mm -hmm. right? That's someone whose name gets brought up when we're talking about whether it's, quote, realistic or not for someone that size to, let's say, beat Brock Lesnar. Here's my theory, too, or my outlook. Like I said, right before I started Grizzly Redwood, I was doing, I did the, the job to Kenny and Chase, which I think helped me out a lot. Me and Silas Young dropped against the Briscoes to open a pay-per-view where Gabe just, I saw Gabe that week at the office. He was like, oh my God, you made them look like a million bucks. Right. Gabe saying that to me then, I was like, that's my job. I wanted to keep everything, you know, as far as being a wrestling lumberjack, as realistic as possible mm-hmm. to my size. I'm not athletic like Rey Mysterio. Right. Well, I can't athletic in this case being acrobatic. Oh yeah, I'm not ag- I'm not that agile. Right. Mm-hmm. So I got to find how to fit this all in my own wheelhouse, which is Yeah. Like I fell in love watching Ricky Steamboat mm-hmm. nonstop. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "All right, I'm going to do that." I bring that up because let's say Rey Mysterio, he's a former WWE champion, right? right? Now, when he got the title, in 2006, I think it was, because it was after Eddie Guerrero died and he pretty much got the title as a tribute right, sort right. of thing. I forget when. He was booked horribly 
because he was squashed by Kali and Mark Henry yeah. and those sort of guys when there is a way to work it that can be realistic. What drives me nuts is when people look at someone your size, let's say, mm-hmm. and put you in the same ring with Brock Lesnar, like I mentioned before. Oh, well, that guy could never beat that guy. When that is what real fighting the UFC was started yeah, on yeah, in the first place was. was Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. That's why they put Hoist in the tournament because he was the smallest Gracie they had and they wanted to use their style to demonstrate that the technique can conquer the power. Right. And not to get off on a tangent there, but Rey Mysterio and Brock had a match in, I want to say, 2003 on a SmackDown. They had Mm -hmm. a couple matches, but there's one in particular. I think it was on one of Brock's DVD sets, like Here Comes the Pain or something. And I constantly bring up that match as a perfect example, two different styles of guys who can work because they worked a match in such a manner that they eventually got the crowd invested in believing that Mysterio was actually using his speed and his size to his advantage. And when he got this Frankensteiner on Brock and hooked the legs for the pin, people bought it. Well, now I got to go back and watch that match. But that's what I'm <laughs> saying. And that's what you did. That's what I'm saying. What well, won me over to the gimmick is you can work your size. You can work in a certain way that it still seems real. It's smart. Like when you would do the the, the lumber rolls or lumber check rolls. The log rolls. Log sir. rolls. <laughs> I'm sorry. But the way you would use these springboard bulldogs or the way you're using mo- your momentum here, right. you're not knocking him down with one punch, no. but you're working your way up, chopping him down to size. Yeah. And I'm just comparing those examples to you that there are ways to make it work you can't always judge the book by its cover i felt very confident in doing that there were times where i've overstepped here and there I'm bet. All right, I'll go back to a uh there's a eight-man elimination tag i in toronto me cabana necro butcher and brent albright versus joey ryan claudio uh jimmy rave and bison smith yeah remember bison smith he was gigantic he tossed you around a lot everybody else in that match had a feud with each other so i got saddled with bison awesome i love the dude now we're in the locker room you know discussing things and brent's like no he's got like we got to give griff shit we got to give griff shit he's over we got to give him shit i actually stopped i'm in a circle with all these fucking pros and i'm like look man i really appreciate it but i will get over selling like what am i gonna do to bison honestly (laughs) I'll get overselling. You got to do something. No, I don't. Everybody was just looking at me like, oh, smart kid. And I think Bison fucking appreciate it because I was bumping my ass off for everybody. And there's this one spot in the match. And this is where I'm like, it takes two people to do this stuff. Right. So it's I'll sell my ass it off. It takes two, yeah, two to I tango. sell my ass off for them. I go to Body Slam Bison. He does this little thing where he just kind of goes up on a tippy toe. Right. The crowd just, there's a, like, oh, no, it's not going to happen. See, it's the details. Yep. So I like to pay attention to the real little stuff. If I can, I'll get more out of not doing stuff than I will poorly trying to do stuff. Well, you're a good little wrestler, Grizzly. Oh, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you said it yourself. It's the little things. (laughs) No, but like I said, you can't judge a book by its cover most of the time. And I just wanted to at least explain that to you that eventually you won me over and... Yeah, just like the crowd. (laughs) And I'd love to... We're only just scratching the surface here. So come back and we'll talk some more. Oh, hell yeah, man. Absolutely. 
Well, that's going to do it for the podcast this week. And I almost just wanted to say that's going to do it for the podcast in general. It's been a rough week. I'm very upset about a bunch of things. And I don't know if there is going to be a next week. I may just go to a bi-weekly format for now on, post a show every other week. I haven't decided yet. I guess you'll just have to tune in to next week and find out. You can do that by subscribing on iTunes, following on SoundCloud, downloading on Stitcher, all those different ways you can listen to the show, and then it'll go automatically to your device, whether it's laptop, phone, however you listen to the show. I'll keep you in suspense. If you want to send me words of encouragement, because I could really use it this week, like us on Facebook and post over there. Follow on Twitter, at A Few Words with ES. Leaving a good review on iTunes would help, too. Up those star ratings. That'll encourage me to keep going, especially if you repost, if you share, if you comment. I want to hear from you. You can also do that by emailing directly to afwpod at gmail.com. So many times I get messages that say this was a long time in coming or they've been meaning to get to it. Make it now. I need to hear some positive things. So if you enjoyed this interview, if you enjoyed the show, spread it around. Let everybody know about it. On the way out this week, speaking of Ring of Honor, as there was a lot of ROH talk today... It's another version of a track my buddy Lawrence Haber made that I used in Ring of Honor DVDs, a song called Fire Tide. You can hear more of Lawrence's music on YouTube, youtube.com slash Lawrence Haber Music, and you can follow him on Instagram, at Lawrence Haber Music. So until we meet again, whenever that is, be well and thanks for listening. That's part one. I got a tinkle. <laughs> um. <laughs>